Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Tokyo Table Talks, our weekly unscripted podcast where we talk about all things related to dungeons, dragons, and the combinations thereof. Today, it's me, Atlas the Bard, and... I'm Dragor. Today's topic, we're going to talk about some more, like, real-life things. Uh, not just things that are at the table, but things that surround the table on which you play Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we've got a lot of topics to cover today, but let's start out with just uh, talking about some of the things that have happened in recent past for uh, Dungeons & Dragons-related stuff. First and foremost, real soon, they're coming out with the first actual like expanded rule book for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. It's going to be the guide to everything. It's mm. written from the perspective of a beholder. So the beholder is actually writing the book. I think it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> Look out for something about that mm. on the Tokyo Tabletop channel. Of course, we also play our 5th edition campaign every Saturday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That is, of course, noon in Japan, if you guys are closer to that time zone. 12 p.m. Uh, Japan Standard Time on Sunday. We've also got our Dungeon Walks show, where mm. we continually, every week, play Dungeons & Dragons and other like adventure-related games, where we've got fantastic members of our Tokyo Tabletop cast coming and sitting at the computer screen instead of the table. Mm. So, let's get right down to business. Dragor, mm. a lot of popular media recently has been portraying bits of Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop role-playing, and the general role-playing scene. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the way that the media has been portraying <clears throat> the Dungeons & Dragons scene recently? Well, I think there's still a level that is perceived as something weird or odd or out there, and so there's different areas that it's shown up and so you know there's a episode of supernatural where you deal with people who are in the world of like larping and live action role playing and just personifying that whole area of fantasy that's still considered weird but yet each has a part that people can get into but it's still considered weird at first glance you know pe people invest time money you know costumes and rules around all these things and People look at it and think of it as like, that's very odd to just center so much around that. But yet, if you just take a moment and look elsewhere, like how much people invest in sports. Fantasy like, football. Fantasy football, but also just the event of sports of like, I'm going to buy the jerseys. I'm going to get a bunch of food. I'm going to learn statistics on all these players. And like, right. it's not that different. It's just which thing in which you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. And then you go into other areas like, oh, I'm forgetting the name now, uh, but there's uh, some... A movie out there has uh, Peter Dinklage and some other people. Some guys who were at a LARPing event, but then one of them happens to accidentally use an actual demonic book and actually called some demons at a LARPing uh, event, and so it caused them to actually have to do something. And so it is a comedy, but it's also action, and it is... Uh, people consider it still weird when people are really into it and role-play, you know, really uh, get into detail of it. It's still considered weird, but yet, if you look at other areas and people getting invested in other things, it's not that different. You are not so different from mm. me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, like, the the media recently has been portraying more of the Dungeons & Dragons and role-playing scene, but it still isn't portrayed in a 100% positive and accepted light. 
However, it has been moving more towards that.、Mm-hmm. Thanks to, for instance, most recently the television show Stranger Things,、hmm. which is set in the 80s or something, isn't it? Is it in the 80s? And yeah. it starts right off with a DD session. Yeah, first episode, they're fighting of, the demigorgon right, on the table. They're fighting this monster, and they go through the process of, the process of how they go through combat, a little bit of the mechanics, a good amount of the actual the role playing of it, and it gives you a sense of it. As something that kids would spend time getting into. And it's really good to have that exposure, not just for those who are curious about it or haven't heard of it, but also for those who did experience it and get an extra level just to connect to when watching that show. Oh, yeah. Well, and like back in the 80s, Dungeons and Dragons was a big thing, but it was a big thing because it was controversial. Yes. Also. yes. There was that whole big satanic panic thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Back like, in the days. Whether it be the fact that it's a fantasy world or the fact that it involves magic and there's warlocks and. But basically, anything that was misunderstood or weird was considered demonic or satanic. In oh, most、general. definitely. So, I mean,、yeah. this isn't to disparage any people who follow any specific religions or anything, but、nope. anything that is super dogmatic to the point where it looks at anything that is not its own internal doctrine、mm. and says, this thing is not only weird, but also inherently wrong.、Mm. I feel like that might be a little bit misguided.、Mm. And Dungeons and Dragons really, actually, in game, takes that to a different level. Because, like, you can actually play as a priest who has a direct connection to their deity. Right. As opposed to the real world where we kind of don't have that.、Mm. Yes. But yeah, so why don't we take a step back and look at some portrayals of Dungeons and Dragons and things that are similar in the past?、Uh. One of the earliest ones that I can remember is that there was that 1984. Co- uh, like Saturday morning cartoon, the Dungeons and Dragons TV series, which was ridiculous. Yeah, I admit, I don't think I've ever actually seen it. And if I had heard of it, I probably would have watched it. And that's something I would have invested in, especially since I watched a number of your morning cartoons. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean,、um, it's in the same sort of vein as like the Mighty Maxes, as the, the Mummies Alive, except for、mm. that one's maybe a little bit newer. But like, it was a standard Saturday morning cartoon. You had a bunch of kids who got sucked into the Dungeons and Dragons world,、mm. and they had all like, had taken on aspects of specific character classes. And then they ran out of base classes, so they made one kid an acrobat.、Mm. Acrobat? Where did you come from? <laughs> well, I mean, that's technically there was a thing in the old editions where you could be acrobat. But, like, the, so it was a portrayal of the idea of, the, of Dungeons and Dragons.、Mm-hmm. It wasn't an accurate portrayal of, like, people playing at a, at a table or anything like that. But it had that fanciful, like, aspect to it where, you know, you had. Uh, the, the priest who could heal people. You had、mm-hmm. the wizard who could cast powerful magic.、Mm-hmm. You had the fighter with his big axe that could fight people. And you had that sort of like very st- just standard party dynamic. But the people who were in that party were not actually those things.、Mm-hmm. They were a kid who had been given that ability.、Right. And that's where. The, the aspect of role playing really shows up in that one. Right. It's a fantastic idea because, like, at the very beginning, they're like, oh, I'm a wizard. What do wizards do?、Mm-hmm. Just like anyone who's sitting at a real table would do if they walked into a, a second edition campaign、yeah. and someone handed them a wizard character sheet. They were like, here's your guy. And you're like, okay, cool. What do I do? Right. You have that moment of, well,、uh, magic missile. Okay, fine. I try that. And you're like, oh, that's what it does. Okay. 
then that's now my thing. And so you're getting into it and it just develops. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a pretty clever introduction to the idea of it, even back in that time when the words dungeon and dragon next to each other invoked yeah. a lot of like beer from parents. Yeah. I mean, that show went on for a decently long time. It, yeah, it was for a bit. Uh, let me, I'm just looking at the thing here, and it says it was 83 to 85. Which is a long time for a Saturday morning cartoon. 27 episodes, so yeah, it went, it's pretty good for then, yeah. Right, I mean, it, it obviously, 27 episodes over a series of two years means that there was a lot of reruns, mm. but that also means that there was demand for those reruns Mm -hmm. so it was a a highly enough rated show that they continued to play it yeah and i think that's an important thing to note Mm -hmm. there's also the two official dungeons and dragons movies which were just so bad i can't remember what the other one was the first one that i know was called dungeons and dragons it was back in uh 2000 and that had uh jeremy irons and i had uh one of the wayne's brothers and it had the guy who was a villain from, like, one of the Highlander movies, Endgame. And it's just some random guy. But, so, oh, and it had uh, Richard O'Brien in it. He was the leader of the Thieves Guild. It was very interesting to see him in that. Yeah, that's the one where they had to get, like, the gold dragon staff or whatever. Uh, yeah, so there was a dragon. Um, yes, I've seen it a number of times. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, so the, the whole thing is a dragon rod could control that color dragon. And so you have this wizard who's played by Jeremy Irons who's trying to, like, manufacture or create a rod that can control red dragons that allow him to overthrow the rule of the, the whatever the kingdom was. And so in that process, um, there's this whole story bit where the main character, uh, you have this, like, uh, female character who, like, understanding, learning magic stuff and meets up with the rogue, um, and they go traveling around, and so you get introduction of different characters, like dwarf, elf, and so, okay, I'm seeing parts of it. And you also get the way that parties come together. Yes, and that part, I felt, was pretty good as far as how people just end up meeting up. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you're a D&D... You know, a a fan, and you know some stuff of D&D... You wonder about how that got put together, <laughs> how they make certain references. <laughs> the choices like, they've made in this film. Was there a Beholder fight? No. You see a Beholder pass by and someone, look, a Beholder, that's it. That's it. You don't get like, to fight no it. no fight. Um, and it was hanging out with some guards? It, it was patrolling around this camp because they were trying to get some special scroll uh, and they just saw one pass by. That's it. And, like, those who are a fan of D&D want to see a Beholder fight, right? but that would have been too big budget for oh, yeah. them. And it was it was all, like, CG. The Beholder was, yeah. like, bad a little 90s. passing CG. Some of the spell stuff was, like, was like your uh, weekend family movie uh, it, happy it, Windows positive. movie maker shit, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you have, like, your family-friendly weekend Halloween movie that has some magic animation like it was that kind of quality <laughs> hocus um, pocus yeah which hocus pocus was actually good this just took that and just whatever and so <laughs> to take that and i wonder about people who are involved with such projects about writing and concepts and i i'm not an expert i'm not that good of a writer but there are moments I feel bad if I felt like I could have done something better. Right. And I'm like, that is not a good thing. I'm not that good at it. And when I feel like I could do something better for a D&D movie or a Dragon Ball movie, <laughs> um, that's kind Ooh, of a boy. bad thing. And so, yeah, that was a bit rough. I can't remember what the other one was. Oh, well, I mean, there was one in 2005 um, that was kind of 
one that I had seen. Wrath around, of the Dragon God. Yeah. yeah. I'd seen it like online or something. And I'm like, oh, someday I'll watch that. Um, it's garbage. It, it What should have happened was the sequel to that movie should have been, oh, now we have to find what's happened to Snails. Hmm. Because he was a main character in the first one and he was a comic relief and then he unceremoniously was killed. Like, just apropos of nothing. And then we see at the end of the first movie, like, his spirit flies away or some junk. The second movie should have been, well, let's get him back. This must be connected to the other movie. You know why? Because it has one actor who was in the 2000 Dragons movie. Well, it is a direct sequel. It's just garbage. Because it has the same actor in it. I'm like... Oh, it has you with the same character, and you're. I thought you died. No, you didn't. Okay, so you're in it. So it is connected. Yeah, that's at least interesting. So now I feel like I'll be incomplete unless I watch it, just because (laughs) I can say I've seen it. Because you've got the completionist vibe to you now. Because oh, it's just why? Why? No, it's really bad. Like the the movies that have portrayed the world of Dungeons and Dragons have all been pretty garbage. Mm. That being said, there are productions out there that have done really well with it. Yeah, where is that one I just mentioned? You were talking about Scourge of Worlds, right? Yes, uh, Scourge of Worlds. I found it by accident, I think, because actually I bought the DVD and I was like, oh, D&D, and it's a DVD, I'll get it. And I watch it, and it's in computer animation, and it... Basically, is a choose-your-own-adventure D and D movie, which is fascinating. So you have these characters. So you have a, uh, I think it was a a fighter, um, and then you have a rogue, and you have a a wizard or sorcerer. Sure. And so they're going through like a tavern situation. You you go interact with people. You have a situation where you're going through like a puzzle with like magic. You have a situation where you encounter a paladin fighting this little rock golem on the you know near off of a trail. And at each of those moments you decide it pauses saying, "Do you help this person or do you wait?" Or like, "Do you do this thing fairly or do you want to cheat and each choice has a result like in the choose your own adventure books except this is a movie and there'll be a cutscene after and yeah some of those get you killed and you have to go back and you know choose another choice and go through it and that felt actually like the dynamics the structure the the world the magic that felt close and it felt comfortable like a D&D session that I'm used to mm-hmm I think you can actually find Scourge of Worlds DVDs on Amazon right now. Mm. It should be called, what is it, uh, Scourge of Worlds, A Dungeons and Dragons Adventure? Yes. If yeah. you if you want to take a look at some like pretty old school ideas, but ones that are actually like well put together and well executed, mm-hmm. that might be a way to do it. You can also look into, this is one of my favorite things that I've ever watched. It's an independent series called Journey Quest. It was on Hulu, I want to say, a while back, and I don't know if it still is right now. But it is set in, like, a fantasy world. It's it's faithful to its own internal logics and its own rules that it sets up for itself. Where, like, in the terrible Dungeons & Dragons movies, the, the low-level wizard's apprentice girl who starts at the beginning mm. also knows Dimension Door. C- okay, sure. Why? <laughs> Why not? But then she also, like, can't cast spells unless she has her spell component pouch, so she Mm -hmm. has no spells that don't require components. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. 
But in this one, like, you know, you start out and you follow some characters that are kind of low-level bumbling idiots, Mm -hmm. and they get to be badass near the end of it. And it's a fantastic representation of what a world internal of a game could look like. Because it really feels like the the players, like the the people that are in the thing, are being influenced by players like you and me mm. at a table outside. We just don't see it mm. because we're fully immersed in that world. Right. Journey Quest was free to watch on Hulu if you had Hulu. Uh, so I guess it technically wasn't free because you had to have <laughs> had Hulu. But uh, it's fantastic. It's got like six, seven episodes. We've been waiting for like three years for them to put out new stuff because mm-hmm. it's a, a labor of love for them. They had like a, a Kickstarter or a Patreon or something like that for it. And I guess they didn't get a lot of, of support after the seventh or eighth episode, which is sad because it's fantastic. And it's like you look at these productions that are faithful recreations of the world, Mm. the things that you would like to be able to watch more of because they have the charm, they have the aesthetic that you want, and they don't get funded, Mm. but then we get garbage like the D&D movies. Oh, another one. I've heard... Now, I can't remember if it's true, but I heard that the Aragon series was based on someone's written D&D adventure. That is true. The Aragon series, which is about dragons... Which was the book series, and then they did one movie, which... I enjoyed, but yet it was... You you kind of have to separate it from the idea that it was part of the Aragon series. Right. I mean, it's kind of like what you have to do with the Lord of the Rings, uh, the Hobbit stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the Hobbit was like a 250-page book, and we made four movies out of it or something? Yeah, four. What bollocks is that? We got, what, maybe four movies out of the entire trilogy... Yeah, and then they decided to take The Hobbit and be like, we're going to do the same like, thing. Right. And they, I mean, the Lord of the Rings, they did one per, and then they had the extended editions, which fine, and that's good. And you got a lot of material and that's good, but you get a lot more in visual, uh, when you're telling a story because where a page or a paragraph describes a setting, you get that in a scrolling or pen, of a scrolling by shot. shot just passing by. You get a whole description of a thing and then you carry on. Mm-hmm. And so. Right, there's that separation that you want to have there about material and how yeah. many movies and whatnot. But so the Aragon, yeah, that was different. The concept was there. There are aspects you can tell it was someone's story, but it was definitely not ever con- directly connected or communicated as a D and D story. But it was kind of based on a written adventure that someone had done oh, up yeah. from that. It was that sort of like nudge, nudge at the side of the table, like eh, eh, this is totally a, a campaign we played, right. eh, right. Which is another thing that you'll get with Adventure Time. Mm. It's it's pretty common knowledge now that Adventure Time is a D&D campaign. Mm. Like, there's even episodes specifically, like the episode where Finn takes Flame Princess into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's go on a date. We go into a dungeon. Finn is like, all right, I got this. I'm going to be the cool fighter character. Mm-hmm. And then Flame Princess just waltzes in and is like, oh, I'm super OP. Waste everything. Mm-hmm. And Finn is like, that's not how you're supposed to play this game. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty obviously a D&D campaign. And that's fantastic. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Like, the just all of the aspects that Adventure Time brings forward that are about tabletop role-playing, it, it really feels like Finn is the, like, the son of Jake, who is the dad, and Jake is the GM of the game, and sometimes he's not around, so Finn has to go get into his own little adventures. But when Finn and Jake are together, it's almost always like, okay, mm-hmm. this is totes like a, a, a session of D&D. Which I think is quite good. But then you've got the sort of comedic 
bigger budget, and I don't know if they're really big budget, they were feature movies, at least, mm-hmm. the gamers movies, gamers mm-hmm. one and two, uh, where you had the literary device of people playing Dungeons and Dragons in the back of a comic shop. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the, comic shop owner was the GM and he had a bunch of people that were at the table and like there was one guy who was like yeah I'm gonna play a monk and he was like there's no monks in this world and he's like yeah but it's in the book so you get like the the, the loser rules lawyer character and he's like yeah I'm a, a super cool Chinese martial artist mm-hmm. and it's like yeah but we're in like medieval England style so well it's in the book okay fine whatever kind of thing mm-hmm. and those are fantastic because it gives you the, the glimpses of like, this is what a real table might look like. Here are the people that sit around the table. Here is some of the stuff that might happen. Mm-hmm. You even have like interpersonal conflicts at the table where one player leaves because he's mad about rules. And it's a pretty like faithful representation of what Dungeons and Dragons looks like to the outside observer. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it does kind of make it out to be a ridiculous thing, and it's like a, ha-ha, look at these guys, they're playing Dungeons and & Dragons, and they're getting mad at, like, the rules of a game, and then right. whatever. But there were two movies of it, and they were both hilarious and fantastic, and they had drama, and they had, like, good representations of what the game is. Not just like a, hey, guys, check out this dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Or like a, hey, this is an internal world with no, like, point of reference or anything. It was just, uh, we're playing Dungeons and & Dragons, and we made a movie about it. And that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that we got that kind of thing. Then there was the legendary film. I know you know the one. Dark Dungeons. The one that was based on that Christian tract saying how playing Dungeons and Dragons was the gateway to demonology. (laughs) How the more you played Dungeons and Dragons, the more the people you played with would start to take you to their underground demon cult and make you blood sacrifice your best friend in college to try to bring the Dark Lord Cthulhu back from the Mm. underworld or whatever like that. Well, that was a Christian tract that came up. Hmm. And it was wildly popular because of how ridiculous and, and wrong it was. And no, it just has one plot line on IMDb. It just says, written by Anonymous, two college students are seduced into the evil cult of role-playing games. That's the incomplete plot synopsis of this movie. And yeah, it just... Mm. It's so good. It's it's the movie is definitely made by somebody who is not a, a practitioner of the religion that they are uh, taking the source material from because it definitely really tongue in cheeks it. <clears throat> but that also shows that people cared enough about Dungeons and Dragons that religion got so far into it that they made media about Dungeons and Dragons too, and that's hilarious. There's a fantastic uh, YouTube video where uh, JonTron goes through and like picks apart what's stupid and wrong about the about the thing. You can go ahead and search that on YouTube if you want to, but it's mm-hmm. it's so so dumb and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like you actually get like a CGI Cthulhu in this film, like trying to come out of a, a blood pentagram on the ground mm-hmm. and all this. It's ridiculous. So if you really want to go through and see, like, what some of the references that we've made here are, you can look at uh, Stranger Things as a framework for, like, how 
Dungeons and Dragons affects people's real life skills. You can look at the D&D TV series from the 1980s. There are the two Dungeons and Dragons movies that are garbage. You can look at Journey Quest on Hulu. There's also Scourge of Worlds, the DVD adventure that Matt was talking about. You can look at Gamers 1 and 2 to see the, the representations of how they'd look at the table. And you can take a look at the legendary film Dark Dungeons. Mm. And apparently I've just been reading up on Geek and Sundry, which is a nice little group company that's based on gaming and whatnot. And they talked, they had an article uh, a while back about a upcoming D&D movie they're working on, which apparently has a lead role from an actor who was in like the Divergent series and some other stuff hmm. with a writer who, uh, for a screenplay who wrote, who worked on uh, Wrath of the Titans and the Aquaman movie. Um, so that sounds cool. It sounds um, promising at least. And so they, with one a particular group, it's some group called Ain't It Cool News, claims to have got access to an early version of the script, or at least concept, and they said it's supposed to be an object quest style D&D story, um, where they go on a quest to find a magical artifact. Because and, of course. And the working script is said to be Dungeons and Dragons, The Hand of Chaos. Ooh. Um, and so... It'd be cool to see what they do with it and hopefully something new. And the fact that Geek and Sundry is following and reporting on such things is great because I like having that reference. Because Geek and Sundry is based out of something created by Felicia Day and some others who, first time I saw her was on The Guild, which is very role-playing-like focused, mm-hmm. um, which was an, an, one of my intro into something more normal in regards to that world mm-hmm. uh, being watched and available. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Nah, that sort of stuff is great. And, like, having the crossover between Dungeons & Dragons and real life Mm. is another thing that's super cool. Uh, Let's talk about that after the break. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to talk about Axe Tax. Are your combats at your table getting a little too boring? Can you predict what's going to happen? Have you fallen asleep between turns at the table? Then have we got the thing for you. Axe Tax is a new active combat system for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons that can be extended to fit with any Dungeons and Dragons, or in fact any other series, that you'd like to use at your table. It's free to use, and you can help support the development by supporting us up on Patreon. Take a look at our website at www.axe.tax. That's A-X-E dot T-A-X. With this new tool in your hands, you'll never be bored at your table. Come and pay the axe tax. I'm never going to get tired of doing that stupid, like, (laughs) that cheesy voice. (laughs) we got to get some real sponsors. (laughs) Mm. And welcome back. Thanks very much for that sponsor. No problem, bro. I love this voice. Right, we're going to have to do something about this guy. Anyway... (laughs) So let's talk about the impacts that playing Dungeons and Dragons has on you as a person outside of things at the table. Now, Matt, you have been playing D&D for a decent while now. How do you think it's affected your real life? Well, somewhere hiding in the who knows where of storage box, there's uh, a VHS recorded video of a D&D session I played with my brothers back in 96-ish. Um, the I original be- live stream. I, I, be- I believe it was um, Dark Sun focused. Um, and like we just went through the process. And really, just that day, it was a very much a big 
look forward to process of we're driving now. We're going to get a case of Mountain Dew. We're getting a couple big pizzas, bags of uh, Doritos, and we're going to sit here all day and play this game. And it was very much like it's this whole process. It's not just like, oh, if we're going to have a, a movie night with friends or we're going out for karaoke, like you go like there's a lot of thought and preparation behind this thing one person is doing the writing and organizing the whole thing and i create the character i have the character sheet roll the dice learn about the different feats and so to be able to uh, focus energy and time into this thing was very beneficial for me it was something that gave a lot of focus and something to enjoy and something to just spend a lot of time on and so from that early time uh, it kind of was very sporadic about how often I would actually play, but over time it would just slightly shift, new additions, learning new stuff, adapting or hating certain additions, yeah, and, then fourth in, edition. and then coming, coming back into it. And so it's becoming this big thing that is part of my schedule, which we, you know, we play every uh, Saturday for those of you in the States or Sunday in Japan. And it's something that is part of the schedule and something that we look forward to. We talk about it outside of it. I spent had to spend some time coming up with a backstory and I'm excited to hear about and that the by the way. Influences come from different places. So maybe I'm just sitting there watching a certain movie and I'm like, this makes sense for Dragor. So I'm gonna write that into here and that's that's what I was going for. And I write that up and I send it to the DM so that you can work that into the uh, story and what happens next. And so yeah, it's very much uh, just becoming a normal thing. And now as far as outside of the people involved directly, uh, a while back, about a month ago, I was in the middle of an interview uh, for a teaching job and asked about like what hobbies I had. And so I was trying to go through. I'm like, oh, yeah, I go for runs and do some gaming, watch movies. I do some tabletop gaming. And the guy interviewing me asked about tabletop gaming. He said, oh... Uh, D&D, or as he knew it, and I knew it originally as a D&D <laughs> back in the day. Uh, and so you have that random moment of just discovering people who grew up with it or knew it. And you find them every once in a while, but it's that sudden moment of like, like, because you normally just don't know. You have to actually bring it up or have that moment where someone finally dares enough to mention Dungeons and Dragons, and then all of a sudden, those who are familiar just immediately just pop up. Oh yeah, floodgates it's, open. It's a whole fandom thing. It's like when you're out and about and you make a Doctor Who reference, and all of a sudden, someone on the other side of the room is like, "What?" Right. So you have that moment of connecting, and so it's glad that you can have those moments of discovery with other people, and it it just shows up at random moments, and it's a great thing to be that into something, and you end up connecting with someone because of it. Oh, definitely. The fandom that surrounds anything is a very strong place to go for if you want to, like, bond with other people. You just have to make sure that you mention the right fandom. Mm -hmm. And right now, something like tabletop role-playing, especially with pieces of media out there like, for instance, Critical Role, for uh, dice camera action, there's the big groups out there that we're going to get to one day, I hope, that make it such that it's easier for people to experience the roleplay aspects without having to, like, get a group together and do all the work themselves. Mm. And I think that's really great. 
But, like, uh, for instance, even if you've never played Dungeons & Dragons in your life, if you've watched some episodes of Tokyo Tabletop or uh, Critical Role or something like that, you can still have a conversation with somebody who has played the game. Mm -hmm. So there's that sort of gateway into it. And it really just gets you closer to other people. And I feel like that's a thing that we are kind of missing a lot of in, in today's society. Mm. But so, now that you've... Uh, you've you've told like what you can do interpersonally in things. Are there any skills that you've developed in D and D that you use more now in real life, or vice versa? Are there any real life skills that you can really put down in D and D? Well, whether it be skills or just in general, not just in communicating with people who know it, but it's almost like this whole other language. And so, when you have people that you communicate with who understand it then it kind of opens things up and you're a little more comfortable to be able to communicate. Um, and so being in those scenarios, it's a fantasy situation, but yet there are times where you have those moments and sometimes you're able to take a certain aspect of personality or a certain way of communicating that you take out of that experience and you might end up using it in the real world, whether it be, oh, I'm not normally that outspoken or talkative, but over time in playing a certain character in D&D who was a bit not me normally, a bit more outgoing, and just by doing this over time and having this small sample size of people that I was that way with made it easier to bring that into other situations mm -hmm. because I was able to communicate with people then. You know, maybe certain aspects of problem solving or management over people in a group who does what, an organization. There are definitely several parts to how a D&D session can go that could apply to outside situations. And a lot of people tend to bring their personality into the game, mm -hmm. but I think there are a good number of situations where people can be in the game, discover something or try something, and then end up bringing it out. Mm -hmm, definitely. Like, uh, our dear sorcerer, Kore. When I first <laughs> met Megan, she was a significantly more, like, reserved and quiet person. But now, after having played Kore Dragon Slayer, or mm -hmm. Dragonfoot, or Kore the Mysterious, claw. Cortex. Yes, Cortex. We gotta figure out a name that Cortex. will stick. Cortex. Cortex. <laughs> but, like, having played as Kore for a while, you can really see how it's changed Megan's outlook, how it's mm -hmm. changed her ability to interact with other people. I think it's done her really well. Like, now she's more outgoing, she's able to have, like, mm -hmm. stronger conversations with people. I, I, I really enjoy seeing how people grow when they play Dungeons & Dragons, and I think it's fantastic. Any any sort of like interpersonal role playing game where you have to take on the aspects of another character is great for your own character growth, and that gets into things like theater productions mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. If you have never done theater before, but you've never played Dungeons and Dragons, then you're kind of going in blank. Yeah. But if you've never done theater, but you have played Dungeons and Dragons, you have at least that backstory. To, to use when you're walking into it. You have that ability to be like, yes, okay, well, I understand how to embody the aspect of another character, mm. so I'm going to take that ideology mm. and walk right into how how to actually embody this character on the stage. Right. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Just that bleed-through is amazing. Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely something that happens is you take 
it's not just out of nothing that you either do theater or you do D&D. You always take something from you to implement into this character because that's just what makes it work. That's what role-playing and acting and fantasy is, is taking a piece of you, either that's big or small, a certain personality trait, and bringing it into this character, whether you play a good one or a bad one, evil or have what not have you. And so it's definitely a lot of fun to try that. Um, and whether it be... Uh, like if I try to play Dragor, there's a certain aspect of disregard for violence that it, it does it settles things just fine for him. <laughs> Whereas violence doesn't necessarily uh, happen for me, and it's not really ever something I go for. But in this scenario, it's something that just is fun to imagine going in this scenario. But it also applies to. You know, we have a cleric that goes with certain aspects of following Paylor. And, uh, you know, you can make connections about, you know, do you follow devout? Do you struggle with it? Does that mirror your actual life at all about, you know, in regards to your view on religion? You get to kind of play with that. And it sounds kind of ridiculous to some people, but you actually have a certain level of discovery you get over how you portray this character and how you normally would portray that situation. Oh, definitely. And, like, psychologists have really started using Dungeons & Dragons mm -hmm. as a way to get patients to open up. Mm. And I think that that's fantastic. That idea that... You can portray a character, but, it, like, deep down, whoever you portray is an aspect of yourself. Mm. Maybe one that you don't show to others, or one that isn't dor or that isn't active or whatever, but is still an active, like, bit of your brain. Mm -hmm. That is super cool, and it's important to be able to, like, you know, compartmentalize the things that you don't want to come out in society and all that. But right. then also to be able to just be like, all right, well, I'm going to play this, you know, uh, half-orc paladin with a pirate accent today, and we're going <laughs> to go through and be, you know, the, the, the paladin of the fight god and mm -hmm. just be like, arr, now right. we're going to go and make sure that there's fighting happening mm -hmm. and stuff like that. That shows the people that you're playing with, another bit of yourself that they probably wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. Right. That having this scenario, a way of viewing things, and from a D&D &D perspective or a theater perspective, is like, it's kind of like being given uh, permission to allow certain aspects out. Like, if normally you don't speak up for yourself about things, but maybe in this scenario you got to practice or feel what it's like to actually be a certain way. Yeah, slam your hand on out. the table, point at the other guy, and yell something. Right, and so in that situation, it's a safe and expected and normal situation to be a certain way that does not have any context outside of that situation. So you get to feel these things and be a certain way without too much concern over it and you get a response, you get feedback, because you will talk to the people, they'll get responses in character or out of character. And so it's a way of, for those who struggle with aspects of interaction and being social, it gives them a means to practice, or uh, even for some people, it gives them permission to just be however, mm -hmm. and allows for the opportunity. And as far as another thing that comes out that I think has become more known, or at least more uh, common knowledge is there are memes and other things out there that pertain to uh, character alignment. Mm -hmm. There's thing, there's all kinds of memes I've been seeing out there about 
uh, character alignment that shows, oh, we can equate character alignment with oh, how they leave the, the toilet paper roll. Like, yeah. this, is, this is lawful good, and then, oh, if they just leave it standing there, that's like, that's true neutral right there. And if they leave it on the floor by the side, well, that's just chaotic evil, and, and there's that, and it connects to multiple other things, but it's becoming more commonplace, and so people are sharing it, but then people who don't know, but just because they're exposed to it, will be like, what is this? And it's like, oh, it's a D&D thing, and, it, you know, whatever, and it begins discussion mm-hmm. because it's becoming more normal. And I think that it's fantastic. Like, a, a decade ago, it was a nerd thing. It was, you oh. got laughed at for playing Dungeons and Dragons. You spent this much time writing stuff in a notebook and writing, drawing maps on a grid paper and making lists of spells like that just sounds yeah what, what a losery thing to do yes. what a, but now like it's become the cool thing mm-hmm. P- cool people play dungeons and dragons vin diesel plays dungeons and dragons terry cruz is a huge terry cruz i would love to see a table with with uh, vin diesel and terry cruz on that and then DM'd by, like, Matt oh, Mercer or something. Oh, I've, I've seen cool uh, posts on Tumblr where someone mentioned about they want to see a movie where Vin Diesel and Terry Crews are, like, uh, some, you know, law enforcement, and they have to, like, like get into the world of, you know, conventions or something to try and figure something out or figure out a crime, but they're actually super nerdy, and they get into it, and, like, yeah, just imagining certain scenarios that just play that, but, yeah, you, a lot of people are into this. Right, and, like, it's cool to be now, but a decade ago, it, sur- it super wasn't. No. So, what <clears throat> changed? Why did the public perception of Dungeons and Dragons change over the past about a decade? Like when you were younger, how did people perceive you playing Dungeons and Dragons? It wasn't regular conversation. It wasn't something that I ever felt like I was able or should bring up. Was it because you were scared of being um, labeled a nerd? Maybe. Well, I mean, in general, back then, I wasn't much of a social person anyways. Fair. Um, And so the only people I would communicate with would be the people who I've either already played with or had hung out with long enough that I found out that they played. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I played. And that would be my being able to contribute or being able to mention it was already knowing whether or not they took part in it or were familiar with it. And so, But other than that, I think it's just um, usually two factors are needed. Just a matter of time of people being corrupted by Satan, as some would say, <laughs> or of, at some point, someone of note of uh, popular culture or celebrity, someone of, some authority, thing. someone who is noticed or known enough, mentioning it or being witnessed or being part of it gets people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, you know, when your average game is done in a basement with just select few friends that are close. You're not going to get much notice from that. But then once you finally have someone of notice who is part of a celebrity or part of the news is viewed and heard, mentions it, then that's going to cause it to start spreading and being talked about. And as when one person speaks up, it's going to cause other people to speak up about it mm-hmm. and talk about it. And it's just going to keep going and building from there. And I feel like that's the fantasticest thing that could have possibly happened. And I know fantasticest isn't a word, shut up. But mm. the like when I was a kid, I had a couple people who liked the idea of role-playing. And then I had everyone else at the school who thought that I was a loser and used significantly more pejorative words to talk mm. about me. Mm. 
And that may or may not have been the fact that I was the token pagan at a Christian school, <laughs> but, you know, it was it was always like a, you kept your mouth shut about that stuff if you didn't want your locker broken into and have the football players piss on your stuff. Mm. But now, if you don't play D&D, it's fine. But if you do play D&D, yeah, that's kind of cool. Tell me about it. Well, then, yeah, then you'll have the conversations of, it's not just like, oh, do you play D&D? It's like, like, oh, well... What, what are you like? Yeah, like, like what character are like, you? Like, dude, we need a cleric. Like, <laughs> yeah, you suddenly get like these secret like your 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 coworker who you know like drinks coffee in the morning and then never talks at all. Suddenly, you mention like, you know that you're playing D right, D. Like, dude, we have a game on Fridays. Yeah, and they they lean yeah. in real close. They like slide a, a note onto yeah. your desk that's like, "Do you play as a cleric? We need one right. Fridays seven p.m. or something." Yeah. And then they just don't talk to you about it right. until you mention something back, and suddenly you're best friends. Right. Like, that sort of stuff has happened to me before. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's fantastic how now the perception of the the game and the, the scene in general mm-hmm. is that it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And that's thanks to things like Stranger Things, like we mentioned earlier, tying mm-hmm. everything back mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things has that entire framework, and it was a fantastic television show that has, like, a bunch of cool monsters and stuff in it. It has concepts that, like, would show up in a D&D game, but are also great for, like, a, a mildly horror show. It's fantastic, and that is a great, mm-hmm. like, introduction to the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. And since Stranger Things was in such mainstream, now so many more people are hearing those words, they're Googling it, they're going to their local game shop and buying the books, Mm -hmm. they're getting absorbed into it, they're going to conventions, and now they belong to Satan. Wait, no, the other thing. (laughs) But no, like, it's just a completely, a complete revolution of how people now perceive the game. And I think that it's only going to get better. Right. It's only going to be a, a greater community in the future. Obviously, there will be, like, the trolls who... They'll go into Adventurers League and they'll just play, like, a, a loser who kills their party members and goes, Haha, you're a loser. Right. There are, there are some funny videos out there that shows, like, Oh, all of your, you know, gaming sessions or groups have, you know, which pr- type of player are you? And that pertains to both the uh, the masters and the players, are, you have different types. You have those who get super, super into the role-playing that they method act. They always talk as it and always refer to characters and certain names. Nothing against that. Sure. I am. That is not entirely me. I am more of the simplistic of I'm me and I'll communicate something. I usually don't talk as the character too much, um, except for maybe, well, except for when I'm kind of mostly am my character in certain <laughs> senses of uh, talking. It's not that much of a stretch. Um, and then you have the, you have the, you know, the dungeon match, which can be kind of like that as well, getting super into it. Or I've played with some who are very just matter of factly and just saying, you're here. This is what's going on. What do you do? Nothing wrong with it. It's based on the people playing and mm-hmm. do they all match up and each plays their role. Some are super detail-oriented about, uh, this rule says blah, 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 and they, every single detail gets checked, which it's good to know the rules, but there's a certain point when it take, makes the session last way too long. Yeah, those um, kind of people have, yep. they tend to be the thing that slows the game down the most, rules lawyers. There's the one that doesn't really know what they're doing, but they're super happy to be there, which is great. <laughs> is it like, wait, what am I doing? Okay, I do that. Okay, I did, and 
honestly, they're fun. I like that. It doesn't matter if they don't. And that's just great because they want to be there and they're having a good time. Right. You have the one that doesn't show up. Uh, that, uh, that, that's, just, yeah. oh, that's part of every group. Everyone has a person that just doesn't show up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you have your ones that is there to just cause mayhem. Like, they might be playing a certain character of a certain alignment, but when really in their head, they're really just being chaotic neutral and they're just causing mayhem. Yeah. They'll just go against everything regardless and they just want to just cause a crazy session because they feel like, oh, this is where you can just do whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. And or play it that way. And so there's all different ways of playing it. There's all different ways of what kind of story you do. And it's definitely just a starting point or guideline to different aspects because there's D&D, there's Shadowrun, yeah. there's... Uh, there's, there's Star Wars tabletop game, which I love because uh, it's D and D Star Wars. But right. uh, so you have all these different things uh, to go from, and so there's so many possibilities. And that's another aspect that happens when you meet people who are familiar. We say, "Oh yeah, do some you know D and D," and they're like, "What edition? Yeah, or, right. What, 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 which one do you do?" Right. And like, oh yeah, that one. But then you you also get the like blood feuds, the like, oh, you play D and D. I only play GURPS or whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about that in another episode, I yeah. think. Well, uh, thank you guys very much for coming and joining us. I hope that you enjoyed what we had to say today. I hope that maybe you've got some opinions on it yourself. If you would be so kind, you could go ahead and leave a good review for us on iTunes, which is where I think you may have found this uh, podcast. If you're looking at this on YouTube, then you can leave us a a like and a subscribe, hit that little bell icon so that you're up to date on when we put out more videos and things. I hope that you really enjoyed it today. Thank you very much to our sponsor, Axe Tax. No problem. God, we gotta get this guy out of here. He's a creep. Mm. If you want to help us continue making good podcasts and other content, like this uh, on our channel, then you can hop onto the Patreon that's attached to this one, which is uh, patreon.com slash arcanestatic. That's A-R-C-A-N-E-S-T-A-T-I-C. That's uh, the Arcane Static channel. You'll also be gaining access to some of the super secret project that may or may not have actually started to come out by the time this podcast goes out. Mm. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys very much for coming along, and we'll see you next time.